Two questions for us to think about as we prepare our hearts and our minds for worship this morning. Uh, The first question is, what does the Lord require of us? And that's a biblical scriptural question. What does the Lord require of us? And it's the prophet Micah in the Old Testament who answers. He said, the Lord requires us to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. Second question is, what does God command us to do? And the answer uh, to that question is found in Jesus' words. Jesus says, to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, God doesn't call us to a life of ease and comfort, uh, but to a life that's lived in his presence, a life that can be filled with abundance and grace, even in the day-to-day struggles of life. So this morning, as we worship God, uh, let us be reminded that this is a God who believes in us, who trusts in us, and abides with us always. Um, We invite uh, us to, we invite you to worship a God who has stands beside us and has promised to be with us through every moment, every circumstance of our life. Pray with me, will you? God, we trust in your power to create and to sustain and to enable us, but we could not trust you if we didn't know that you were always near us. So thank you for that promise. Be with us as we are gathered here to worship you today. Help us to let go of any cares that we may have brought into this place. And for this time together, enable us to bring all that we are to you so that we might experience your touch in every area of our life. And we pray this because of and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. We're in the fourth week of this teaching series we've been doing through August uh, called Vital Signs. And it's all about how we function as a healthy and vital congregation in a world where the priorities uh, are often very different than the teachings of Jesus. Today we're gonna be looking at six disturbing trends among a large number of people who identify themselves as Christ followers and hear also from the teaching of Jesus about the gift of being part of God's work in this world. And we'll get to all that in a few moments. But today we're just inviting you to just enjoy the peace and the presence of God in this place and trust that your heart will be touched on something in the music or the word today Uh, will make your life uh, just a bit different uh, this coming week. Pray with me, will you? God, you are here and uh, in this place, even now. Empower us to praise you, not just with words and actions which come from the outside of us, but from deep within us. Dwell in us more fully so that we may sing to you with all of our being. Fill us with a sense of your joy that we might actually delight in these moments of worshiping you. Focus us on your self-giving love, which is above every love we've ever known. God, you are here in this place, and we thank you for your presence. Make your love real here and now. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. For the last three weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be involved in a local church. And I'd like to start off week four by reminding us that every one of us is either, if we're a member or a regular attender of any local church, we must decide between two distinct options. 
The first option is that we approach church and our involvement in the church much like we approach the country club style membership that we talked about earlier in this series. This is where our desire to be part of the church uh, is to see what we can get out of it. We determine what we like and what we don't like and we expect perks and we expect privileges and we expect service. But what happens when the country club church goer is asked to contribute to the work of the church? What happens when someone asks you to serve in the nursery or teach fifth grade Sunday school class? You may agree to the request out of obligation or duty, but you don't respond because you want to, only because you feel like you have to. Remember, attending the country club church is not about serving. It's about being served. And in my experience, someone who feels pressured into serving usually begins doing whatever they do with a less than positive attitude. And they don't last very long in serving. Other country club churchgoers just get upset when you ask them to serve. Some respond that they did their time in earlier years as if serving the body of Christ is some kind of a prison sentence. Others refuse to even give a reason as to why they won't contribute to the ministry of the church. They just get indignant because they're asked. And then there are those country club church members who direct everything at the pastor or the staff. They usually say something like, that's why we pay the pastor. That's what we pay the staff to do. They're just trying to get out of work. So that's the first option, the country club church member. The second option is a much more biblical option, and this option, uh, in this option uh, views church involvement as a gift. It sees being part of a family of faith, a community of faith, as an opportunity to willingly serve and give rather than having some legalistic obligation to do so. You see, our entire attitude is different when we approach being part of a church in a biblical way. Being a participating member of a local church is a gift, it's not a benefit. And if we see our church involvement as something to be treasured, something that is special, something that's important and valuable, we'll, not in, we'll never view it as inconsequential or trivial. We'll follow the biblical admonition in Hebrews chapter 10 where we read, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You see, in our Western culture that once valued our Judeo-Christian heritage and followed God's command to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, the Lord's day was once considered a very special day a day that was dedicated to the worship and the service of God. But now many Christ followers have followed the way of our secular society and we treat it like any other day. In addition, local church life, once considered the center of indispensable relationships, is now treated like an extracurricular activity. In his book, Set Apart, Calling a Worldly Church to a Godly Life, the author, Kent Hughes, lists six disturbing trends among a large number of people who identify themselves as Christ followers. And you'll notice that these trends are all interrelated. And the first trend he calls hitchhiker Christians. How many of you know what a hitchhiker is? Okay. In the first service, like every hand went up. In a nice... In this service, I saw four, okay? 
So it tells you the age difference between the two services. Um, we don't see as many people hitchhiking today as when I was growing up, but a hitchhiker is someone who tags along for the ride. Uh, they say, you buy the car, you pay for the repairs, you keep the insurance, you fill the car with gas, and I'll ride along with you. But if you have an accident, you're on your own, and I'll probably sue you. You see, they have no investment. They're just along for the ride. It's not really that far off from the attitude of some of today's church attenders. You go to the meetings, you serve on the board, you serve on the committees, you deal with the issues, you do the work of maintaining the church, you pay the bills, and I'll come along for the ride. But if things don't suit me, I'll criticize you, I'll complain about you, and I'll probably even leave the church. Hitchhiker is always looking for a better ride. Second trend is he calls the consumer Christian. Many of today's churchgoers shop for a church much like they choose their dinner at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Church shoppers attend one church, maybe for the preaching. Another church, they'll uh, send their children for a youth program and maybe even go to a third church to be part of a small group. Their motto is, what's in it for me? They're not invested to serve. They simply are looking to take the best from each place. And the author often calls this uh, cafeteria Christianity. Number three is the spectator Christian. Hughes says spectator Christianity feeds on the delusion that virtue can come through just watching church, much like a football fan who imagines that they're strong and daring while watching their favorite team, either from the couch or from the bleachers. You see, spectator sports and spectator Christianity really produce the same thing. Fans who cheer the players on while they themselves are in desperate need of engagement and meaning. And again, they're not on the field. They're not in the trenches helping to do ministry. They're just watching from the sidelines. Number four is the drive-through Christian. You know, the nice thing about drive-through restaurants is that we can get what we want in a minimum amount of time with little effort, right? Of course, there's an unhappy price to be paid for too much fast food. We get in the habit of not cooking. Our arteries get clogged, you know, because we're not eating right. Uh, we get a little flabby. A drive-through Christian is a person who is unfit for the battles of life because they have no conception of being a Christ follower who's engaged in this larger spiritual battle. They want something special, but they want it quick, and they want it with as little effort as possible. The fifth trend he mentions is relationless Christians. In light of the New Testament's call for believers to be part of the life of a community of people, it's ironic that there are actually churches that value anonymity, going as far as to abolish membership altogether, as well as not even acknowledging their guests. Some churches have even replaced a pastor in person with a video projected preacher on the screen, a virtual reality version of the church. Relationships are devalued, human connection is at a minimum. Number six is the churchless worshiper. The current myth is that a life of faith is possible, maybe even better, apart from the church. So instead of faithfully participating in a church, there are self-professing Christians today who prefer to worship God, so they say, at a local coffee shop, 
or down by the lake, or even in their living room, pajamas and all. And what we might forget is that a church, is church membership has to do with uniting ourselves with other believers for mission, for mentoring, for ministry. Those things happen best in the context of a community of faith. Some will argue that the body of Christ refers to maybe the universal church. We're all believers everywhere for all time. And that's right, except that the universal church and the local church are not mutually exclusive. The majority of the New Testament books were written about or to local churches. The book of Acts gives us a historical narrative of the work of the Holy Spirit in the churches at Jerusalem and Antioch and Cyprus and Iconium and Lystra and Pamphylia and Thessalonica and Berea and Athens and Corinth and Caesarea and Troas and Rome and Malta and others. Nine of the New Testament books were written to specific local churches. That was Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. Four of the Apostle Paul's letters were written to specific people or addressed specific concerns in local churches. 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon. And the book of Revelation includes messages to seven specific local churches in Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So I want us to look uh, for a moment at this idea of the early uh, the universal church and the local church from the standpoint of being family. Every person ever born is a member of what we call the human family, right? That is, we're instantly a part of this larger connection and collection of human beings on this planet. However, being born into the human family at large does not make us a member of a specific family. Each individual has a specific name and lives in a specific house and on a specific street in an individual family. Not everyone born into the human family can make a claim on the love or the resources or the care of a specific family. I want you to imagine for just a moment that you're um, down the street in the, uh, the plaza in the, in the bike shop. And there's a young boy or girl you've never seen before in your life come running up to you and they point out the most expensive bike in the store. And they say to you, mommy, daddy, please buy this bike for me. Can I have it? Please, please, please. I haven't bought a bike in years, so I'm not sure what the most expensive bike in the store is, but let's pick a number. $1,200 is, is the most expensive bike. Obviously, this little boy is confused. Cute little guy. For sure, it's part of some family, just not part of your family. You might politely help this little guy to try to find his real parents, but very likely you would regard him as a member, you would not regard him as a member of your family and entitled to $1,200 of your family's resources. And for that to happen, something else might need to occur. There must be a common ownership, there must be common commitment where members of a family give them of themselves to the child and the child uh, gives themself, her, his or herself, to the care of the family. They're participating with each other. And whether this happens by natural birth or adoption, there's this recognition that they belong together. Now, such mutual belonging in this particular family doesn't mean the child in the bike store is no longer a part of the human family. He certainly is. The categories are not in contradiction. Just isn't part of your immediate family. 
You see, local church membership is about mutual belonging. That's why it's so important. It's also the key to understanding why arguing, I'm just a child of God and I don't need to join a local church, is, is a wrong argument because it puts in opposition two things that belong together. It also denies the kind of ongoing care necessary to build the spiritual life of Christ in us. Mutual belonging in the church rests on three main concepts. The first is the recognition of our new birth. When we commit our lives to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Bible calls that a new beginning, a new birth, a new creation is formed. The second concept is the recognition by the local church of a desire, a responsibility, a commitment to care for every person as one of their own. There's this continuing relationship. And the last of the three concepts is our recognition of a desire, a responsibility, or a commitment to care for and participate in the life of the local church. That's why what mutual belonging is all about. You see, it's a gift. A gift is something that's voluntarily transferred by one person to another person without compensation. It's a fancy way of saying that a gift is not something that's necessarily deserved or even earned. If there's a payment or some kind of compensation involved, it's not a gift, is it? It's a purchase. So when we repent of our sin, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of salvation. In Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. When we receive the gift of salvation, we become part of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 tells us all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Salvation is a free gift. It includes forgiveness of our sins through Christ's death on the cross. It includes adoption into the family of God. It includes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But it also includes becoming part of the body of Christ. Membership in the body of Christ, the church, is a gift from God. It's not a legalistic obligation. It's not about the perks that we can get out of it. And it's not a license for entitlements. It's a gift. In Matthew's Gospel, the 20th chapter, we read this story about the mother of James and John. And she comes to Jesus one day and she asks that her two sons be able to sit with Jesus on, in his right hand or his left hand in heaven. That was a position of power. It was a position of authority. Jesus basically tells her that that decision is none of her business, and her request is ruled out of order, out of, out of line. Matthew records it this way. When the 10 other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. But Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life 
as a ransom for many. Jesus basically tells them that their attitude stinks. The message is clear. When we have an attitude of entitlement, we have a lousy attitude. We're always looking for what we rightly deserve, and we get indignant when we don't get our own way. But when, our, when we see our life and our salvation and our church involvement as a gift, our whole experience, our whole perspective changes, and we don't have this sense of entitlement or expectation. To the contrary, we want to be last, and we want to receive the least because that's the way Jesus modeled it. We want to be more like him. Healthy church involvement means that we find our joy in being last instead of seeking to get our way and being first. You see how upside down the values are of Jesus to the world? It's not about us. It's about what we do for the kingdom of God. When we receive a gift with true appreciation, we naturally want to to respond to the giver. And our response to Jesus Christ, the giver of salvation, is that we see our service as a natural outflow of our joy, the joy of our salvation and the joy of being involved in a local church. We consider it a privilege to serve the King of Kings. So we look for opportunities through the church to be of service. Church membership is a gift and we respond hopefully to gifts with gratitude. Many of us have already discovered that one key way to express our gratitude is just to learn to serve as Jesus served, and church membership is a gift of God's grace. It is life-sustaining, it's faith-strengthening, it's joy-preserving, and it's one way that God shows his mercy toward us, and we are able to give back. But here's how we live that out. First, being part of a local church in a life-sustaining way requires our regular presence and it requires our commitment. See, God's gift to the church, of the church and the unity that's created here between all believers has the power to sustain our lives. Through all the ups and downs and the struggles and the pain and the, and the, the stuff that we deal with every day, the church and the body of believers together has the power to give to sustain our lives. And as we participate, as we serve out our calling and out of our gifts in the church, uh, not for our own gain, but for the kingdom's sake, the Holy Spirit works through us and works through our church to sustain our lives, to give us strength for the week ahead, to draw others to Christ through our witness. As we commit ourselves to this community of faith, we support one another, but we have to be present we have to serve like Jesus served, placing others before ourselves, keeping Jesus Christ as the head of the church. And then secondly, it's not just that we show up. It's not just that we serve. We must also be committed to growing in our faith and to seeing our faith strengthened. Yes, we do encounter God here in this place, but we must also engage with the life-transforming power of Christ through Bible reading and through prayer and through things like life groups. We open ourselves to let God's work uh, uh, be done in our heart and see our fa faith grow and be strengthened. And it's my guess that none of us in this room today have yet reached perfection. God still has a lot more for us to learn and grow into before we perfectly 
are able to fulfill Jesus' command to love ourselves and to love our neighbor. So a faith-strengthening involvement in a local church means that we are works in progress. We are willing to learn and grow as God works in us each and every day. And then third, one of the greatest joys that we have as we live out our lives as followers of Jesus Christ is finding and then living out our purpose and our calling in this world. Having encountered God in worship, having engaged with God through prayer and Bible study and small groups, we have, we have changed. We change because the Holy Spirit changes us. And now we live our lives differently. We, we give sacrificially because that's who we are in Christ. We become servants because that's who we are and we want to emulate Jesus. We step up and lead a ministry or a life group because we're called to be Christ's ambassadors in the world. And each of these three concepts actually make up the spiritual growth plan that we have here at Redeemer. Pastor Tim preached on it uh, earlier in the summer. You can read it, you've read about it in numerous uh, bulletin inserts or worship folder inserts. It's on our website. It's part of the spiritual growth plan that we hope that all of you can connect with. But you see, church membership and church involvement is a gift. It's an important part of who we are in Christ. It provides us with an opportunity that we can find nowhere else. It's a gift of God's grace to us. Each of the messages in this series closes with a pledge. I'm gonna do that again today, and uh, before um, uh, we do that, let me just say that if you want to uh, join your voice with mine, uh, feel free to do that um, as we do the pledge. If you choose not to, that's okay too. Um, but it's part of who we are to make our com renew our commitment to Christ and to his church. And so um, if you want to join with me, here goes. I am part of this congregation, this church, and my involvement here is a gift. When I received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, I became a part of the body of Christ. I am a part of both the universal body of Christ and also a local body of Christ. And I am now humbled and honored to serve and to love others in our church. I pray that I will never take my participation for granted, but see it as a gift and an opportunity to serve others and to be part of something so much greater than any one person. Pray with me, will you? Holy God, we graciously accept the gift of grace that you have given us to be part of your church. We recognize that our practicing, um, participating membership is vital to any relationship with you in this world. And so as we grow together in the days to come, give us the courage to become what you have always intended for us to be. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.